Are you a double E that needs PCB assembly? Look no further than Macrofab. We've got you covered whether you need a single prototype or high volume manufacturing, including system integration. Macfab is your solution. Use our easy online interface to upload files, get a quote in minutes, and order your PCB assembly without speaking to anyone. That's my personal favorite part. A few days later, your high quality PCBs will arrive in the mail. Visit macfab.com today and sign up to get started. Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I'm your guest, Josh Rozier. And we are your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 174. So last time Josh was on the podcast, it was the uh, last December's Star Wars podcast. The greatest hits. And, yeah, it's the greatest hits. <laughs> the, the, the best episode we ever had, right? <laughs> yes, this is the episode we ever had. Um, so Josh is back. He will be joining us on this uh, podcast. It's not. It's going to be a weird podcast, right, Stephen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're sort of not doing like a guest podcast. We're sort of doing like uh, Roz is just another person that is helping us out. <laughs> I'm not sure how to feel about this. <laughs> well, you, you, but we brought you on actually because you have some cool stuff to talk about because you've I been do. doing you've been doing a, a pretty interesting topic or project recently, right? Yeah, I mean it's cool to me. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't put too many people to sleep. But well, well, here, here's the thing: you're on the kind of podcast, probably the only podcast in the world where other people would be like, "Oh, that's cool." <laughs> well, yeah, so I will, I'm going to go ahead and make this disclaimer once, this caveat once. Uh, hopefully I won't have to do it throughout the podcast because um, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for me to do it. But I am not an engineer. Uh, my education, my background, none of that. I'm not an engineer by trade. Uh, I don't even work in anything technical from like a technology or, or engineering standpoint. But... Um, so I guess that being said, I know I'm going to say a lot of things that are probably not completely accurate and we can save all the keyboard commandos, all their finger, uh, you know, fingertips from smashing the keys. I know I'm probably doing things wrong, but that being said, I, uh, yeah, I, as most people probably don't know, um, Steve and I going way back, um, we're in bands together, like goofed off on in, in my parents' garage with guitar amps and drums and, and getting the cops called on us since we were probably about 14. Um, and part of out of that friendship and Steve's kind of interest in guitar amplifiers, I got involved in guitar amplifiers as well. Um, and I've been building amps with Steve, I don't know, probably about the last 10 years or so. Steve? Yeah, sounds, sounds about right. Um you know, varying, varying degrees and types and kinds and, um, all kind of tube, uh, vacuum tube guitar amplifiers, but cutting to the point here, um, I've started winding my own transformers <laughs> crazy enough as, as it might sound. Uh, it really was spawned out of more curiosity and, you know, can I do it more than anything? Uh, and that led me down kind of a interesting path to where I am now. And I just recently, uh, wrapped up my latest one, my first, I would call legit one. The other ones I kind of took apart and uh, started over because I wasn't happy with them. But yeah, so. Let me kind of interject right. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you just gave a whole spiel 
describing how uh, you you would were not or are not an engineer. No. If you didn't give that spiel, you could have fooled anyone. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, especially <laughs> especially with the intensity at which you've uh, approached this project, and uh, and like the weird ADD fueled rage in terms of like actually like accomplishing a final product on this. Yeah, true story. I hope my um no nobody who works at the company I work for listens to this podcast because I'll probably lose my job once they realize how many hours of their time I spent at work <laughs> doing this. So <laughs> Okay, so uh what kind of transformer did you wind? Right. So I started Actually, in hindsight, with the hard one of the hardest things I could do, which was a output transformer for a guitar amp. Specifically, it is a output transformer for a 100 watt. Let's call it a Marshall clone, right? So, four EL34s in the power section, which are type of vacuum tube, and um, it's essentially an impedance matching transformer that that matches the impedance of the output tubes to your your speaker load. Um, so we're going from about 1700 ohms on the primary uh, of the output transformer to four, eight or 16, depending on your speaker load and your speaker cabinet, how many speakers you have. Um, and essentially it's, uh, there's a lot more, uh, it's art, science, voodoo, uh, superstition, man, there's so much when it comes to output transformers versus just your standard um, I don't even want to call it standard because there's nothing simple about this this world at all. But you know, if you're just talking about a a voltage a power transformer, you know, a step up or a step down transformer, um, it makes that look like kindergarten um, when you're going towards output transformers. There's just so much involved, and everything is interconnected. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can we can dive into as many details as you want, or um, I'll kind of let you guys guide me on which direction we want to take it. Well, okay. So one of the things that I've I've certainly found interesting is is um, well, Roz and I've been discussing this for two or three months now via yeah. text and a handful of other things, and I've gotten all kinds of pictures and spreadsheets and things like that. Uh, <laughs> and and one of the things that's that's interesting is uh, a lot of times with with design, what you really either shoot for or you kind of hope for is that you can have a handful of variables, but they're not necessarily interconnected where right. you can turn the knob on one variable and adjust one thing without affecting anything else. And what I've certainly recognized from watching you do this transform thing is every single variable is somehow connected to another variable where if you turn the knob on one thing, you are required effectively to adjust all the other variables. Right. And, and we're not just talking about from a... Um, like a theoretical engineering standpoint, right? It, it, like from from a physical standpoint, if I go from thirteen gauge wire to fourteen gauge wire, well, that changes the fill of my of my bobbin that I'm winding my magnet wire on. Well, okay, well you're changing the fill. That's going to change the weight. You change the weight, it changes the the power handling essentially and the core loss. And well, that's going to change. It's going to change your capacitance between the windings because now you have more or less space between the windings and the wires and the the thickness of your insulator on your magnet wire is going to be different. So yeah, it's just all one little variable of changing, you know, you know, I have 14 gauge laying around. Why don't I use this instead of the 13 gauge? Okay. Well you can, will it work? Sure. It'll probably handle the current. 
it's going to be exactly the same type of transformer? No, it's not. It's going to it's going to change something. Will you be able to tell the difference like sonically? To be determined, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> See, you you sound more like an engineer it's, than we do half the time now. <laughs> it's it's audio though. It always matters. Yeah, right. It, right yeah. Well, it depends. Yeah, it depends on which cork you're sniffing, I guess. Yeah. Um, did you cryogenically align all the dipoles in your in your iron? I did. Yeah, I. I uh, it's now. Uh, yeah, I, I did a couple of normalizing cycles on the forge up to fifteen hundred degrees. <laughs> no, hell no, no. No. One cool thing about it is, is in in. Um, out on the market, the the type of steel you use for these type of transformers, they do all the annealing and all. It's called fully processed grain oriented steel, which is what I use for this particular transformer. Um, and you joke, but that's one of the benefits is they anneal it and they relieve all the stresses in the metal. So even that actually, I know you were half halfway making a joke, but even that is is something that affects the this the core saturation of 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 your metal. So is that so? I guess if it's relaxed, it allows it to. It has a better permittivity for the magnetism. Exactly. Okay. So what you can essentially do is wind your wind your transformer to a higher flux density, right? So you can you can basically get a more compact transformer, more efficient, smaller size. But that's not necessarily a good thing, right? Because smaller physical size could potentially mean you know bigger temperature rise within your in your transformer so it's all kind of like going back to that one variable affects many it's kind of a balance but yeah essentially uh you know that higher quality metal is um allows you to have more permittivity on 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 the uh the core of the transformer so yeah so is the is the metal found on like mount fuji and ford and folded like a million times by zeus himself you would think so because it is it is I want to say damn near impossible to find domestically in any kind of quantities that, you know, you or I would want to be able to purchase. Right. Yeah. Um, if I want to, I can go down to, you know, Arnold's magnetics or LSI, or there's a couple of hand American vendors out there that are still making this type of steel. It's not all fully, you know, overseas yet, but you're talking a couple of tons, minimum order quantity. So you got to find basically a <laughs> shop who does this, who's willing to sell you laminations off the side, or you got to cannibalize, you know, a microwave transformer, in which case you're using mystery steel. And that's <laughs> mystery always... steel. Well, but, but <laughs> also remember, we're talking about iron here. So a couple of tons is like a pallet, right? Right, right. Yeah. It's like shows up in a box and one, one Amazon prime box. <laughs> so, okay. How did you go from nothing to something with, a, with this? So it was, uh, I essentially like stepping back into a time machine in a lot of ways. Back in the day, if you think about when, when our grandfathers were messing around with tube radios or whatever, if you needed a transformer, most of the time they just wound it. They went down to the hardware store, picked up the magnet wire, you know, ordered the the laminations from, I don't know, Sears Roebuck or whatever they ordered stuff from back then. And, uh, you know, they got it in and, and um, wound their own transformers, usually by hand on the bench. So um, what I did is I went out to the the interwebs and, and just really just read everything I could get my hands on. There's a, there's a bunch of really good resources out there from 
Um, there's one guy, uh, one gentleman who either still does or did at some point um, own a transformer winding shop out in the, I think, Los Angeles area by the name of Robert Wolpert, I believe. He wrote a couple of really good, very practical, you know, from the ground up. Um, it's at the right level to where it doesn't like overload you too fast, but it's a good intro into the subject. But yeah, I mean, I guess to answer your question, anything and everything I can get my hands on from spec sheets to manufacturers to uh, winding diagrams, on, winding diagrams and posts on, um, uh, you know, forums and, and whatnot, audiophile forums. Those are usually pretty good because those guys go to the nth degree as far as detail is concerned. Um, so they're usually good to take some information from those forums, but, um, yeah, there's, there's no lack of information out there and I'm, I'm just scratching the surface. I've been doing reading this constantly for a couple of months, but I'm just kind of scratching the surface of it. I feel. So you also found some pretty interesting information by looking at other manufacturers websites, right? I did. Um, so interestingly enough, um, well, so there, there's a couple of transformer designs out there that are just so prevalent and because of the, I guess, the products they're used in. So let's let's take the one I, I wound. The reason I did it that way is because I didn't have to engineer it, even though I, I reverse engineered it essentially to try and understand what was going on with the physics of the thing. Um, but it's a very well-known, well-copied, you know, you can pick one of these transformers up wound to specs that will work in a hundred watt Marshall amplifier for 50, 60 bucks from a major manufacturer. You can go out to Hammond or something. You can probably get one for under a hundred bucks. And, um, there's, uh, it's more uh, information online. It's, it's more of like a recipe, right? So it's like, Layer one, wind this gauge of wire this many times. Layer two, you know, and it it just, it's more prescriptive than anything else. So I was like, okay, worst comes to worst, I know I can at least reproduce what they're saying here. I'll probably have to do it a couple of times, screw some things up. I'll eventually get my groove. Um, But to your point, Steve, once I started learning what these variables do and how they affect each other and what's required to build a transformer... I can go out to, um, depending on the amount of information the, the manufacturer gives you, I can somewhat reverse engineer a transformer that'll get you in the ballpark without really needing to know that recipe, if you will. I can, okay, what's the primary inductance? You know, what's the power handling? What, what's the impedance on the tubes you're trying to hit? And what's the physical size? Is it green oriented steel or non green oriented steel. And you can kind of tell those things based on some of the physical factors of the, uh, of the transformer itself. And you can kind of back yourself into a ballpark of, of a transformer that will at least work. So, um, there's, I think one thing is there's hardly anybody doing this cause nobody's crazy enough to do it. Um, so there's not a lot of information geared towards people, you know, trying to get into this type of, of, of hobby or work. Uh, I think the only people that really want to do this are the ones that are usually out there making money at it, you know, for a living. Uh, so. Right. It, it, it sounds very much like on the job training kind of stuff. 
it and and it and essentially that's by reading these manuals and these handbooks i felt like that's kind of what i was getting i felt like this this manual was written by some guy who owned a transformer winding shop for 30 years and i was like my first day on the job and he was kind of showing me the ropes um and i can share those links to you they're out there on the web on pdf i hope i don't get them like taken down because of you know somebody's finally aware that they're out there floating around or something but um you know they're they're interesting to say the least and more than anything being a someone who's interested in guitar amplifiers and manufacturing and building guitar amplifiers and even kind of dabbling with the idea of doing it, you know, as a source of income, um, it would, it, it really helped me understand point like from A to Z, the signal chain, what goes into my amplifier, what makes a good output transformer, what makes a good power transformer. When we're talking about a center tap winding, why is that important? You know, all, all those factors we talked about, you know, if I have an amp that needs to be able to hit a particular bass frequency and not go into saturation, all right, what am I looking at as far as transformers that are able to do that why is this transformer better at accomplishing that goal than this other transformer would be it really helped me understand the mechanics of that so even if i drop this hobby and i don't do it beyond you know a a handful of transformers which i think is probably doubtful um i at least know a lot more than i did going into it before it was just pick something off the shelf that works and now it's you know a little bit more um I wouldn't call it science quite yet. Maybe maybe crossing into the art territory, I would say. Nice. So it's funny we've had uh, we've had some people ask before, like, um, I've got a topic I want to learn, or I want to just become better at X Y Z. How do I do that? And I think your whole story right there is like, do the Roz thing. Like, spend a couple of months, just exhaust Google searches. Mm-hmm. read everything you can try it out spend some money and then at the point that you're at and then you can ask yourself like do i want to do more of this or have i satisfied that itch you know yeah and it's funny i know you were kind of half joking there at the intro about like the add uh you know <laughs> thing but i really think you know wh- whether it be like personality trade or whatnot i have this tendency to kind of once i get interested in something it's it's hard to think about anything but that right so i think to my in this case, advantage, unless you ask my employer, probably, <laughs> um, or, or your wife, or my wife. Uh, <laughs> you know, in this case, it was it worked to my benefit because yeah, you just you just get that thirsty. Okay, I gotta, I need to know more. You read a line in a book, and that sparks more questions in your head, and then you're out there googling those phrases. And then those phrases spawn more questions. And then you're going back to the original source because you finally connected the dots on something that you read like nine pages deep in some forum that made sense like the first day you got into this. And, you know, now you're you're going back and rereading that and it has a different, you know, a different meaning to you now because you have more knowledge. It really is just in this case, I didn't have anybody really to bounce questions off of. So... In my, in, that's kind of a benefit. The way I see it is like I was forced to learn it. I, I wasn't able to rely on, on you know, the the lazy way out, which is just oh well, you know, I'll bounce Tech it Steve. off, Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> t- uh, he, he asked me crap, and I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've never wound a transformer. Uh, so, so stepping back a bit, then on winding a transformer, what's the steps to wind a 
transformer then? Well, so I think, well, let's think about this. I would say step one is to know what, what your intended application is, right? So I know we've talked about it a little bit, but audio transformers is really what I've been focused on. Um, and, you know, power transformers, which I guess are generic enough to where they're in use across multiple different industries and applications. But, um, you know, are you going to be putting it in a guitar amplifier or do you want a super ultra linear, high fidelity, you know, cork sniffer tube stereo amp that you're building? You know, there's probably differences between how you want to construct the two. So just know your application, right? Because that's going to, like we said, the variables are so intertwined that really you have to lay that foundation and start building everything with that intended purpose in mind. Otherwise you're going to be, you're going to get to the end and realize you have to go back and start from square one. Um, I think after that, you got to source the materials. They're so hard to come by that um, you either have to have a line uh, you got to know somebody, you got to have some materials laying around, or you got to be willing to, um, you know, in my case, I, I found one or two vendors that sell in, in quantity, but not ridiculous quantity. You know, you're talking a few hundred dollars worth of laminations versus a few thousand. And they're, so, they're, so what are laminations? So in, uh, the laminations that, that, I keep referencing in this case, the type of transformers that I build because it's more tradition than efficiency or anything else like that. So this goes, I'll reference the disclaimer from the beginning here. I know there's better materials out there a lot oftentimes, but the laminations we're using are, um, they're called EI laminations because if you look at them, they, they're physically shaped like the capital letter E and the capital letter I, um, such that, and, and this will make more sense if anyone goes out and Googles it, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, you basically, you wind your transformer on a bobbin and then you, you kind of put these laminations, uh, inside that bobbin such that it, you know, you have that core area and you have that, that, you know, inductor essentially that wire wrapped around a, a, a hunk of steel. It fits around the um, middle leg of the E. Right. Essentially. That's where your windings go is around that middle leg of that E. Um, what it is is they're silicon steel, right? They're usually around three percent silicon, and um, apparently this is a type of steel that that is just from a magnetic standpoint conducive to the type of transformer that you need for a guitar audio output transformer. So the way I've heard it explained is, you know, lower frequencies below say, I, I want to say it's like 60 Hertz or so silicon steel is really where it shines. Um, so it's able to handle a lot of power without saturating, which is when you're talking about audio frequency, you know, human ear 20 Hertz or so is the cutoff. You want to be able to get it down as low as you can so that you can have that base frequency without distortion. Um, and the reason they're called laminations is because they're 29 gauge in the type of steel I use, which is grain oriented M6 grain oriented steel. It's 29 gauge. And the reason it's 29 gauge is it's really thin because you laminate them on top of each other. You stack them up like a deck of cards, essentially. Um, and they're actually, they have an oxide coating on them from the mill so that they're not conductive between each other. And that's to reduce eddy currents and losses within your core. So is that the reason why you don't just have a big block of a this big stuff? chunk of steel? Yeah, which you can there, do, which you can do. There's like um, um, 
oh shoot i'm blinking on the term but like uh like powdered centered powdered centered and like uh ferro ferro metals uh, i can't remember the name of them like uh but yeah they're basically uh these they're they're it's it's glued powder m- magnetic powder essentially very and, and then cheap there to are, yeah cheap to manufacture really efficient at some things right um you know, there's even like nickel. Uh, I want to say I can't remember the other alloy because they're ridiculously expensive and probably way better than I would need for my application. Uh, but nickel-based laminations, there's um, all kinds of different laminations, and then then you can get into grain-oriented versus non-grain-oriented, right? So the grain-oriented means that the crystalline structure of the steel, when they process it, they roll it in such a way that the crystalline structure of the steel is lined up so that the the actual magnetic flux lines have less resistance when, you, if that's even the word, resistance, you know, when they're impedance. going... Impedance, yeah. The, 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 the word reluctance comes to mind. If I remember right, <laughs> reluctance is magnetic resistance. I don't know, I'm... I'm, I'm thinking all the way back to physics too now yeah i took business business level physics which was like how does this block slide on this inclined plane so i gotta see <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you throw this cow in a vacuum at a 45 right? degree angle <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was great for launching watermelons and trebuchets uh, you know out of trebuchets in the backyard but when you're talking about winding transformers it didn't it didn't do shit for me um but you know, there's all kind. Of, point is, is there's all, all kinds of different steels that are. There's no like super super material that does everything well, just like everything, right? There's trade offs, uh, and in my particular application, it's it's those laminated EI laminations that seem to do the best job. And the EI, going back to that, that's more traditional, right? I think that's the way that was the common manufacturing method for these you know transformer steel and it's just kind of carried over into today's terms especially when it comes to guitar amps um musicians especially and the the nerdy kind of musicians who care enough to know what kind of transformer is in their amp you know they're they're going to be snobby enough to to want a specific look and type and hey if it doesn't match what marshall and fender and vox did back in the day they probably don't want to touch it so um, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of nostalgic flair to it. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's laminations in a very brief nutshell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> barely even bounced off the surface of that one. Awesome. So, uh, just, I guess we can kind of go over this fairly quickly, but, uh, your day job has you uh, working in the Excel or the Microsoft suite pretty uh, regularly, right? Excel and uh, and PowerPoint. So yeah. you used a little bit of those skills to create your own transformer spreadsheet, right? I did. And, I did, yeah. And there's so, some magic behind that. Uh, well, so I wouldn't call it magic more than, um, you know, just uh, keeping me sane by organizing things, right? Um, there's just so much uh, that you're having to kind of tweak along through the process. Um, you know, you want to know how, what's the cross section of your core area, right? Uh, all right. How many windings, what's the flux density that results from that? What's the size? And you got to keep all this stuff straight and tweak all these, these screws to make sure you set it up. And, and Excel was just kind of the natural way for me to, to, to do that. Like you said, day job, 
means that I have familiarity with it. Like most people in corporate America, probably uh, Excel is ubiquitous. It's not going anywhere. Um, and it seems to be like the least common or like the lowest, um, least common denominator, I guess, when it comes to data and analytics and calculation and keeping track of data. So yeah, I mean, I can certainly share it with you guys if, um, if that's something you, you want to look at it, it, I will, I will say that it is, it is probably more akin to like madman chicken scratch manifesto than, than like a, a well thought out organized, like, uh, you know, it's not going to be a step-by-step formula input this into this box and then come over. It's not going to, it was never intended to, to be that. And it never was right. So it, it, it helped me design and build and organize and, and plan out a, a build for a transformer. It might help somebody if somebody out there is listening and, and is kind of already going down this path or wants to get in it. You know, they can they can play around with it. <laughs> Just check every cell and check every formula. <laughs> That's essential. And you know, there's 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 some spreadsheets that are out there. And this is one thing that I found. And and I'm kind of I'm finding uh, while I'm talking to you guys about this spreadsheet that I'm guilty of this very thing that I'm about to complain about. Um, there's a lot of information out there, but a lot of people just say, just use this constant. It's fine. You don't need to know the details. Just plug this into your formula. And that always drove me nuts. I was like, no, I want to know why. Like, I want to know. In, in a lot of cases, it's because it's just such a complicated topic. When you're talking about, you know, permeability of a specific steel from a specific manufacturer, that's a pretty complex, that's not like just a linear algebra equation, right? <laughs> so oftentimes they do it to save you the pain of trying to drive yourself crazy figuring it out. Um, but Or explain to someone on the internet how it works. Right. Um, so that being said, there's definitely going to be some of that in this spreadsheet. It's not going to be able to tell everybody the secret formula to building a transformer. And I'm happy to share what knowledge I have. I mean, I can certainly give you guys my email address and we can we can post that, I guess, in the notes if, if y'all are okay with that. I don't mind that. Um, and I can, anybody can, you know, talk to me and I, I'm happy to answer any questions and share anything I've learned along the way. Do you use Slack? Uh, I have before. I've used it for work, so I can certainly set up a Slack account. And Yeah, and you should can... come hang out in our... Uh, our uh... MacFab Engineering Podcast. Slack oh, channel. you guys have a Slack channel. Yeah, we, okay, we have a Slack yeah. channel with like, gosh, 300 or so active users, and Parker and I are on it every day. So come, yeah. come out and, and hang out. I'd love to. And and that being said, I mean, I'm I'm in the chance that there's somebody out there who's listening and like shaking their head at all the stuff I'm saying that's completely wrong because they know more than me about this subject. Please, I'd love to talk to that person as well. <laughs> so uh, I'm still learning, and I'm I'm definitely nowhere near an expert i would say in this topic um so i'm i'm happy to hear you know other people's advice or direction or learning or knowledge and and you know that that'd be great i'd love to join the channel and kind of you know poke around whatever topics come up so so i got one more question before we move on Roz. yeah what's your favorite transformers movie uh, can I can I cheat? Can I say the Beast Wars Transformers show from back in the day was that's was, that was legit? Yeah, I never really I never really got into the newer Transformers like movies, the Michael Bay ones, mainly because it's Michael Bay. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Michael Bay, but I have a problem with 
I have no idea what's going on, on the screen because everything's so zoomed in. True. Yeah. <laughs> I just go back to uh, Team America. You know, Pearl Harbor sucks, and I love you. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's what I. That's what I think about Michael Bay. <laughs> One thing that I think is funny is um, you you were mentioning that whole like you download somebody's spreadsheet and it's just like, oh, just use this value. Don't don't worry about it. It kind of reminds me of a quick, quick thing from uh, when I got to my junior and or senior year of college. I was like, finally, I've made it. I'm past the entry level engineering stuff and I get to like semiconductor physics class number two and it's like <laughs> I'm learning about all this stuff. And then and, and the professor is just like, well, when you're doing this equation, just use this this value and just don't don't question it. Just just use it. it it'll work, you know. And, and it's like, wow, okay, I've gotten to this level. Like in your senior year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, and it, and it was it's kind of funny because it's it's super it's super like it's an exact relevant thing. Because I'm like, wait, are, aren't I aren't I here to learn why I should use that value, not just <laughs> use it? <laughs> yeah, the, you got to pay extra and go get a post grad degree to learn those things. You know, yeah. there's there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> I actually, I actually noticed that a lot, Roz, when I had professors that that had uh, classes that were upper grad and then undergrads. Yeah, like they weren't combined. They were kind of like that, like Stephen experienced, where like the undergrads they just think we're too stupid. Yeah, to understand like what where stuff comes from. But if you take, I took some classes that were mixed, so they had upper and lower undergrads. Those like, it's like an upper graduate class, and you're like. <laughs> Holy shit! This is insane yeah. that these people are doing this, and they're like they're getting A's, and you're getting like C's, and you're like I have. You're happy for that C too. You're like, no, yes. and, they're, and they're a year older than you. You know, they're 22 yeah, they're and you're 21, you. and you're like, how are they doing this? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, but then you realize just use this value. You'll be fine. Is that's actually their only class they're taking? <laughs> well, and you're well, taking like, but, but they have to they have to TA ones. a couple of labs. You know that evening. So no, it's because yeah. it's because you were playing drug wars on your TI eighty three while they were actually doing the math problems. <laughs> drug wars, <laughs> probably. <laughs> TI eighty nine, titanium. Get it right, Roz. Hey, I got my I got my finance calculator floating around here somewhere. Yeah, it's probably a TI eighty three. Yeah, I don't. I, don't <laughs> I used an eighty three all through college. So. No, no, no. I, funny story. I, I may have told this before. Uh, I, I bought a TI-89 my junior year, halfway through my junior year, and you could see a, a visible change in the in the curve of my grades after buying a TI-89. Like, just what it is capable <laughs> of doing, like, it, it made a difference. And not, and not just taking notes and pulling them up in <laughs> during an exam. <laughs> <laughs> You don't remember you don't remember the big box that the teacher would walk around with with all the uh, calculators and you'd have to take yours out and it's just for that very reason so you couldn't like save stuff into your calculator. No, they no, they, 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 they didn't do no? that in, in engineering. No, they did not. Because <laughs> <laughs> they knew if you didn't have a calculator, there was no way you were doing anything in yeah at all. So I I have my eighty three. I still have on my desk. Oh, nice. So I do have an 89 that I bought for 20 bucks. I think I've told this story before. Bought it for 20 bucks at a garage sale in Austin, Texas. Nice. <laughs> and I used it for my last, my senior year. And you're right, though. It's like, holy cow. Like, differentials, you just punch shit in, and it spits it out, like, factored out. And you're like, fuck my last three years <laughs> of my life. It has, it has a solve command on it. You could just yeah, type in. Solve. You could just type in solve and 
Like it will and do. It solves all, for the variable. It'll solve for a variable. Like that. <laughs> that was game changer. Solve for X. Yeah, that was absolute game changer. But the thing is, though, by senior year, for me at Google. least, like you weren't doing stuff like that. No. Like you weren't solve for X and yeah. like for like in calculus and stuff like that. Well, at my senior year, I wasn't taking calculus anymore. But like, it was one of those like. Well, I should have bought this when I was a freshman. It would have made my freshman life a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but how well does it run Oregon Trail? No, you, I don't think it runs Oregon Trail at all. I, I, you oh, know, I, no. You haven't I, seen, like, Doom ported to uh, the TI-83? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And will it run Doom? I had Doom? a text-based adventure. I wonder <laughs> if I still have games on it. I got booted up sometimes. You, you know what? So, uh... A goofy nerdy side note there's um the processor in the ti-89 actually has two uh it's just like a regular processor where it has two uh, uh caps that connect to the crystal and i i believe they're 22 picofarads it will run if you reduce those to like nine or ten picofarads and so you can overclock a ti-89 and get it to run <laughs> faster What's it like, two hundred megahertz or something? <laughs> that I, so it's know. not a crystal; it's an oscillator in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, I, you know, I th- this was a decade ago that I researched it, so it may be different nowadays. But uh, but yeah, you could do that. And in fact, uh, I did I did actually do that back in the day, and I set up a Fourier transform one time where um, I had my calculator calculate a Fourier transform to something ridiculous like 2000 like n is equal to 2000 where it has to do iterations of this calculation 2000 times and i let it run for an entire week and it 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 graphed it at the end of it and i can't i i think i did a fourier transform of, of something that ended up just being a sawtooth wave and so the graph like it probably would have looked the same at n is equal to 3 as n is equal to 2000 but i it chugged along and did an entire week's worth of, of uh, calculation. I mean, it ate through <laughs> four AA batteries, but, <laughs> but it did it. Yeah, so more than you ever wanted to know about Transformers, but I'm glad I could right. at least have an audience. Well, there's, there's only one thing more nerdy than collecting Transformer toys. That is winding your own transformers for electronic toys. Yes, that's true. <laughs> right. So if I if I didn't already have a wife, there would be no hope for me. Oh yeah, right now. No, this this happened after you got married. Luckily, yeah, lucky I'd for you. Yeah, just be down in, in some dungy basement somewhere and like winding my transformers to my heart's content, all lonely <laughs> like by a, myself. Like a golem out there. Yeah, it's precious. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we've gone for a while. Parker, what's up? Um, so I got an update for the Doom shitty add-on. Yeah. So, Roz, do you know what this is? No. Okay, so we'll start out with what a shitty add-on is. And, like, all our listeners are like, Ugh. Oh, we've heard this a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. So a shitty add-on is a PCB that gets plugged into another PCB, and the main PCB that is for art for a conference badge. So like if you go to a conference and they just give you like your name badge. Yeah. That says that you belong at that conference. Um, some of the more tech conferences have electronic badges. And this has kind of exploded into this ginormous like scene called hashtag badge life. Now these badges have expansion ports on them that you can plug other boards into. And other badges. Into. Wait, you have to get like the red key card to go into certain like 
seminars and stuff like <laughs> that Doom. would actually be kind of that would be legit actually nope. you have to plug your that red key cool. card into your badge and <laughs> open the red door no and no so the the doom shitty add-on is a add-on that plugs into a normal board that has doom guy's face on it on a screen and he's just like looking around <laughs> and so okay. i got my prototype running so you can at least see the the oh yeah look at <laughs> and uh so i shared the video with our listeners last week but um so i i i'm basically i made a prototype ordered the boards um this week the screens arrive so i ordered like 200 and oh i shouldn't have said that because we don't have the, what quantity we're going to make Two hundred thousand LCDs is what I ordered. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. <laughs> Two hundred thousand LCDs, and um, so when they arrive, they arrive this Wednesday. Um, I ordered them like last Tuesday, and so they're showing up in like a little over a week, which is pretty quick from China. And oh. so I'm going to take one of those screens and like I got a little breakout board I ordered online, and I'm going to solder the screen onto it like take the one i have here off put the one i got just got just to make sure it wor it works similar because so many different manufacturers make these things you don't know what you get until you get it so you know okay so parker i just had an idea i'm going to i, I need to purchase one of these from you and i need to create a new uh, a new project Go figure. I'm making a new project, but but okay. So get this. Sorry, I'm totally hijacking your your thing here, but no, this no, just no. came to mind because I've been needing to solve this thing. So I moved positions in my basement the other day, and now my back faces the stairwell. Uh, so if my wife walks down the stairs now, most of the time I got headphones on, I can't hear, and it scares the living <laughs> shit out of me uh, because she like and and I keep telling her like announce when you're coming down like make big noises here's what i want to do i want to get a shitty add-on and i want to put it above my monitor and put some kind of sensor on the stairs such that doom, doom up, guy's face will like go god mode or something if if she's walking <laughs> down the stairs so i can be like oh okay great my wife's coming you can down close that chrome browser window. <laughs> well um, the incognito window <laughs> speaking of uh, no, she's she just, right like, no, no, just, she swear, just to God, swear to God, look at this. She just walked down the what? stairs. I didn't even notice until you guys started like, this is why I need Doom Guy. We're, and, we're the yeah, shitty like, Doom Guys. Oh my God. Like, great example right there. She just walked down. I need this. So, yeah, put me on the list for That's one great. Doom Guy, please. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> I don't know what I would do with a Doom Guy, but. Um... I'll find something. Well, the, the cool thing is I'm making it kind of like a dev board as well. So all the I.O. for the microcontroller that's not used come out to the edge of the board so you can solder like LEDs and stuff to it or solder up more hardware. And you can it's all going to be open source. So you can download the code and put whatever faces or whatever into it. So that's going to be pretty hmm. cool. Oh, okay. So So I could put like... I need to, you know what I need to have? I need to have, uh, like, the submarine siren sound whenever she comes in. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> Red October. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just Sean Connery starts talking to me when she comes out the stairs. <laughs> uh, and no, a Russian Sean Connery, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, which just sounds like the regular Sean Connery. 
<laughs> oh, fantastic. So when are, when are those going to be available, Parker? So I don't know when we're going to sell them yet. Um, the prototype is gone. I'm going to have the prototype next week for Macrofab. And then if that works, then basically I'm going to press, you know, go on the, the run and then we'll probably start selling them. So minimal two weeks from now, we'll start taking pre-orders. Um, and then I got the, I think I talked about last week, this Atmel Ice to Tag Connect adapter board. I got that ordered. So this allows you to plug in an Atmel Ice programmer into it, and then it converts it to the Tag Connect connector. And it also provides power to the Tag Connect. So when I'm programming, you know, all 200,000 of these Doom shitty <laughs> add-ons, um, I just have to plug the Tag Connect in, and it powers up the board and programs it. So, so I don't have to plug a separate thing in. Does it have that really ridiculous, like, super tiny pitch 10 pin connector on it yes okay that that connect that connector is so hard to find yes it is um actually the the atmel ice we have at work the the headers that are actually on the programmer are worn out so the cable just keeps falling out yeah i got i basically got to go in there and take the circuit board out and desolder that header and put a new header in. Good luck. I, I remember searching for that when I was working at Macrofab, those those connectors, and they're just a pain in the ass to find. And and those little tiny pigtail cables are like 35 bucks a piece. Yes. They're ridiculous how much they cost. Yeah. And it's just a ribbon cable. It's There's nothing special about it. Well, but it, there is something special. It's tiny. It's like really tiny pitch. So I don't know. Uh, One point two seven millimeters is what it is. Is it? It, f- it seems smaller than that. Yeah. Um, I actually the part number that you found like four years ago or three years ago is what I use <laughs> all the time. Yeah, because because <laughs> we would go through those damn things. You know, we'd have a customer come in with like, "Hey, can you program a thousand of these units?" Well, you know, we'd go through two or three cables, uh, just yeah. programming a thousand units. Oh, it was a pain in the ass. So hopefully this Tag Connect system, you know, alleviates that problem. That'd be nice. It should. Yeah. Um, and then since we're kind of talking about weird projects, like tra- like winding your own transformers and stuff, I finished the Jeep Wagoneer's grill. Um, I don't know if Roz has seen this. But I, saw, I think I just texted the picture to you, Roz. Um, so the this was kind of like an experiment in like refinishing aluminum. And so it's not just bare aluminum, though. It is it, it's an anodized clear aluminum that they use all over this vehicle. And so the problem with that anodized aluminum is it's really, really hard, which is good when it's brand new. But when you get some like chips and some scratches in it, you can't really buff it out because because the, the scratch went through the anodized aluminum into the soft aluminum and then re-anodized. And you can't <laughs> and you and you can't buff through the hard anodize. You just can't do that. So you have to strip the anodizing off. And I basically used sodium hydroxide, which is lye, and I made like a trough in my backyard that's like eight feet wide and like two feet deep. And yeah, like that's so dangerous. don't fall on this thing. <laughs> and it's, it, I filled it with like five pounds of lye and some warm water. <laughs> And then dipped the grill into it and let it sit there for two hours. And it just like fizzled away all the anodizing off of it. And then I pulled it out, you know, rinsed it off. And then 
took some uh, like 220 grit sandpaper and fixed all the scratches and then buffed it all out and it turned out pretty good. It just, it, I never thought that it would be that much labor involved in doing that though. It, it took weeks of weekends. I, I mean, aluminum oxide is what they make like industrial abrasives out of. That stuff's hard. It is hard. Cause that's, that's the thing is I first, I start, I, I thought I could sand through it, but your sandpaper is aluminum oxide. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're trying to sand basically your hardness levels are the same. And so it takes forever and a lot of sandpaper to do it. Right. <laughs> but yeah. And the thing is, the sodium hydroxide only took two hours, and all I had to do was just like drink beer and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey you, you know what's actually really funny about this? Uh, today, AVE on YouTube uh, came out with a video about soaking your carbide uh, uh, bits in sodium hydroxide. Basically, if you cut, oh, if you're cutting aluminum, if you cut aluminum really, really aggressively with uh, a carbide bit, you can actually cold weld, I guess you could say, the aluminum to your bits. And then you hmm. basically you lose the edge on your bit and you just end up with like <laughs> a cylinder that you're trying to like push into new metal. You don't have an edge anymore. Well, you can actually just drop the bit in sodium hydroxide and basically erode off the uh, aluminum and then pull the bit out and you have your edge again. That's cool. Yeah. Kind of kind of neat. Yeah. So that was a it was a fun experiment because I've never tried anything like that before and it. It was definitely like several, I tried several different things progressing through all the aluminum pieces on my wagon. And of course, on the last piece I need to do, I found the, the magic formula of the process that would reduce Drain how cleaner. much labor involved. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the first was like, I did like the front bumper and it's the same thing, aluminum with a clear anodized on it. And I sanded the whole thing and it took three days of sanding so like you know you know about six hours each day just to get through the anodizing <laughs> so I, I got a question for you do, do, what do you do do you take it are you getting it re-anodized or plated no or? i'm going to leave it bare bare okay. i mean it, it, it will it anodize itself in the atmosphere yeah i mean it, it, there's, but it'll be the spotty when it does that because it's yeah, just it'll natural have anodizing but yeah. the trick is just to keep polishing it and yeah, it'd be nice and shiny forever. You know, uh, it, in quotes. It, it's funny because um, <laughs> we do some uh, we do some engraving at work on anodized aluminum, and so we basically just take a three thousandth inch depth cut on some black anodized aluminum, and what it does is it exposes the raw aluminum underneath it, and it looks fantastic because you have this really nice contract contrast between black and and silver, and. Uh, I, I cut some pieces and showed some people it, and they're like, you know, it's just a little bit too shiny. I was like, wait a couple of hours and come back. And just sitting out in the atmosphere, the fresh-cut aluminum oxidized and dulled just a little bit, and it's not so much of a mirror finish, and it ends up looking Rub great. salt on it. Yeah, <laughs> put it underwater, you know, and it'll anodize yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, so the, the trick is you just have to keep, you have to polish it. And for aluminum in Houston, which is very humid, you pretty much have to keep it polished about, you need to polish about once every two to three months. You just watch it. And usually when the, it naturally anodizes, it's not even a thick layer. And so you polish it right off. And the polish leaves like a slightly waxy finish that protects it and stuff like that. You could probably find some kind of like 
thin oil or grease or something that's like relatively neutral that could probably make that stretch, you know, even longer, I would imagine. Probably yeah. carnauba wax or something like that. Yeah. Possibly. But like if you try to put like a, if you try if I let's say I took it and got it anodized, it wouldn't be as shiny as it is anymore. And then in about ten years that anodized would have faded and I'd have to recondition it all over again, and I do not want to sand that much ever again in my life. Or make a giant death pool in your backyard, right? Or a yeah. giant death pool. <laughs> I have to post the pictures of the death a, pool. A super fun sight in, in, in your kiddie pool in the backyard, essentially. Yes. Well, I first I thought about doing it in the bathtub. Yeah, good thing you didn't. <laughs> and the only reason I didn't, though, was because how much fumes it makes. I'm like, there's no way I could ventilate the bathroom fast enough to handle that volume of sodium hydroxide. Yeah. Now, I bet you the bathtub would be spotless when I was done. Well, I was about to say, isn't sodium hydroxide, isn't that drain cleaner, basically? Yeah, it's right? Well, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, it's concentrated drain cleaner. Anything that right. is organic what is, is dead. What, yes. what does it produce? I wonder if there's any chemists out there can tell us what it produces when it mixes with aluminum oxide. Uh, <laughs> prob- probably, I'm guessing not something good. Yeah, your lung's going to turn into a giant block of aluminum. So, so Anodized yeah. aluminum. Actually, it was interesting when um, I started draining it. Um, I actually filtered out, because I had it, I filtered it out in a, um, I had a, like a paint, uh, a paint, um, what do they call it? Like a paint um, strainer, I guess is what you can call it. It's like a big mesh bag thing. And I actually filtered it all, because you can... When you're done with it, it's sodium hydroxide in water. It's a solution. And so you just put it down your toilet. And you just clean all your drains. But I wanted to filter out all the salts because, like, you looked at the solution. It's just it's just flecks of aluminum in it. And so I don't know if it actually reacted with the aluminum or what that mechanism is. It probably it just gets under the aluminum and eats, eats the, bond. the oxide layer or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does eat the aluminum too, so you have to be careful because if you if you let it sit too long, you'll get pitting all over your aluminum. Oh, fun. Nice. Yeah. So I, I have a um, uh, what's it called? A, a, a wart chiller for beer brewing that uh, is a uh, it's a multiple plate chiller that's made of steel. It's brazed steel together and um I made the mistake of accidentally letting um, some wart dry in there. And that's, Ooh. I mean, it's sugar. It's really concentrated sugar water. And once the sugar water dries out, you have like concrete sugar that's inside this thing that you're trying to keep sanitary. I filled that with concentrated lye water and that came out super clean in no time flat. <laughs> like it just, that works. You just cycle lye water through it. I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, when I did it, in fact, I think I even sent Parker a picture of this. I, uh, <laughs> I had gloves that went up to my elbows on. I had a respirator and I put a motorcycle helmet on just to like <laughs> catch any splashes that came out because I used some pretty concentrated lye on that thing. <laughs> yeah, I was wearing a, a splash shield and full gloves and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't mess um, around with that stuff. It, so apparently it turns into sodium aluminite. So that's what I was skimming off in my, my strainer. It's What is that, like in Flintstones Kids? Chewable vitamins I, 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 and stuff? I think that's in uh, Fight Club somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. 
He would melt his hand. His or name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> cool. So, what have you been up to, Stephen? Um, I've got an interesting thing that's sort of a side note that uh, is different than what I've normally done. So, <clears throat> last November, I actually got the opportunity to purchase a rifle. Uh, from a buddy of mine who had them available, and I'm not I'm not particularly much of a of a gun guy, but he had a rifle that I ran the serial number on, and it was August of 1941. It was an M1 Garand rifle, which I've always had a uh, an affinity for that rifle, which is a pretty cool gun, and the fact that it was August of 1941 before America entered. World War II, I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of need to have this. This is a cool, like, <laughs> this is a cool relic to just have, right? Um, but sort of in the, like, the same vein of, like, cleaning things up, I get this rifle, and the thing is uh, greasy and nasty and caked <laughs> with Cosmoline. Oh, Cosmoline. Cosmoline, yeah. It's like Satan's earwax. <laughs> That's a really great, that's a good descriptor for this stuff. So the uh, I, I don't know I guess this is uh, I'm, I may be wrong here uh, I don't know who all uses it but the American government has uh, traditionally used cosmoline as a uh, protect protectant for firearms so when they I guess uh, put firearms away for long term storage they surplus yeah effectively th this this stuff is a grease compound. It's basically petroleum byproducts and paraffin wax mixed together. And you, I've watched YouTube videos of this. You can take an entire gun and just dip it in a 55 gallon drum of this crap. And, and it's swear to God, it looks like earwax. It smells awful. And it is the stickiest, grossest crap you've ever, you've ever messed with. But it will preserve things like nobody's business. Uh, and funny enough, so this last weekend... I'm imagining, like, on your rifle, there's, like, a mosquito on it. And you dunk it in there. <laughs> that mosquito's Jurassic preserved. Jurassic Park. And they can, like, recreate a Steven in yeah. a million uh, years. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, its uh, DNA. Dude, this stuff, this stuff is like amber. finds a way. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, uh. Exactly. So, so I spent this last weekend actually cleaning the, this this M1 Garand, cleaning the Cosmoline off of it. I had actually done it back in November, but that stuff is so nasty and greasy. It had gone deep into the this seventy year old wood that, like, even cleaning it a few months ago, like it comes back out. And on top of that, I think this gun had been in. Um, the possession of somebody who was uh, had an affinity for smoking, and Cosmoline seems to really enjoy picking up the scent of cigarette smoke. So this gun smelled horrible. Um, regardless, the whole point of bringing this all up is more along the lines of um, the cleaning up effort was was kind of fun. But I actually ended up finding that Cosmoline itself has like a military specification, and you can go and get the data sheet for Cosmoline, uh, which <laughs> will, I'll provide a, a data sheet for it. And there's, it's cool because there's a whole bunch of test reports on what Cosmoline can handle and like stuff like 
700 hours of sitting outside with zero effects to the underlying material. 500 hours of being sprayed with a 5% saline solution. So basically salt water, just spraying it for 500 hours. And it has done nothing to this grease, you know? Um, yeah, that should tell you how hard it is to get off. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, and that's just the thing, like, yeah, the, the government just packs it away. You know, we've all seen Indiana Jones. Like, they just pack it away in crates in a big warehouse somewhere, right? <laughs> Next to the Ark of the yeah, Covenant. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and, then, and then they alien, sell it to right? you. They sell it to us later on in life. But the, the cool thing is I found a product that is sold at uh, Home Depot. It's just called Liquid Gold, uh, and it's wood wash. And this stuff is great. For some reason, it just eats Cosmoline alive. And it will pull it what? out of the wood. Yeah. It's it's a wood, it's a floor cleaner. You know, go figure. Now this podcast has turned into like, here's how you clean your floors. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Brought to you by Liquid Gold. And, it, and, and uh, you know, use sparingly. I'm not going to just spray it all over a vintage, well, a- antique now gun. But uh, you can use it a little bit on the uh, on the actual steel portions of the wood and it. I mean the uh, of the gun and it'll pull cosmoline right off. So, go figure. Check that out. So f- funny story. My my brother is a little bit of a collector himself, and he also has an M1 uh, Garand. Same same story. We got it coated in a crusty layer of cosmoline that was probably seventy some odd years old, and um, we got it and we we did the same thing we scrubbed it we we stripped it apart we poured it in hot water we put all kinds of like chemicals on it uh, and got it pretty damn clean like this thing was looking like mint almost uh you know put a nice layer of uh oil on the metal and uh went out to the range and started shooting it and you know two three dozen rounds in your barrel starts to heat up the gun starts to heat up and the wood starts to heat up and the cosmoline starts oozing out of the pores of the wood and i mean we've shot uh several hundred rounds through this gun by this point we don't want it's not like the kind of gun you go out and just shoot every weekend for fun so first off it's expensive second off it's a classic we don't really want to ruin it by wearing it out but dude there's still to this day every time we go out and shoot that thing cosmoline just starts pouring out of the pores of that wood like a fountain so i wonder what the u.s or any government because i know a lot of governments use cosmoline to preserve firearms like what do you what's their plan of unmothballing those rifles (laughs) selling it to a civilian (laughs) sell them by the crate load like the russians do with their their mosin nagants well they're they're they they mothball them because they expect to maybe use them in the future, and then they become defunct, and then they sell them. So yeah. what if they had to, let's say, during the Vietnam War, needed to uncrate those M1s? Well, like, so I think... Like the no, 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 no. He, he, here's suffer? what happened. They, they spent like $100 million worth of uh, taxpayer dollars to invent anti-cosmoline, where they just dip it in and pull it out, and it's just like, <laughs> it comes out perfect, right? <laughs> It's Agent Orange, Agent right? Orange, that's yeah. it, yeah. So, so, soil and green. Soil and green is cleaner. actually what it is. Yeah. Well, we found something to coat your bumper in, Parker. You <laughs> got exactly <laughs> You coat the whole vehicle <laughs> Oh, that smells awful. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't never know this rust. for a... I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine that it wouldn't take much to get a gun working if it was dipped in cosmoline. You just probably wouldn't want to hold it very long. <laughs> 
You always have to wear big gloves. <laughs> so if it's like an enemy at the gates kind of situation, and you're you're busting out the mothballed Mosin Nagants in the basement, you know, uh, you could probably make them work, but it's probably not an ideal situation. I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if a gun was completely covered in cosmoline, especially the M1 with how reliable it is. You could probably yeah. just shoot a couple of rounds through it, and it and and you know in all the critical paths of the of the bullet the gosmoline would be gone it would be all over your body but it would still function right <laughs> no, that's the thing. now it's preserving you oh there we yeah <laughs> just a little bit in my hair you know a little bit of wax <laughs> slick it back your hair will be permanently in that shape oh yeah forever no if you if you got cosmoline in your hair i it would take you a week to get it out that stuff is so that stuff nasty is gross <laughs> Stuff is gross, yeah, but it's impenetrable. So, did you find anything interesting in the Cosmoline data sheets? Uh, mainly just the like the test reports and things, and the fact that like okay, so Cosmoline is is you know in in terms of human lifetime, it's ancient, right? Like we've known about it for a long time. It's it, it's it's kind of like just coding things in tree sap, basically. Uh, and 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 the funny thing is, like the way the data sheet kind of describes it is just like, yeah, it's like wax it's and oil. Cosmoly. It's what wax you, and oil. Yeah, like, what do you yeah, want? Yeah, go for it. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like that. But it's it's funny because uh, it's a wax. Okay, the. Dis- Wikipedia describes it as a genericized trademark for a common class of brown wax-like, sorry, brown wax-like petroleum-based corrosion inhibitors. And it was, I guess, developed by the U.S. military uh, for this exact reason. So, like, it had one goal, and they certainly reached it. You know, like, they got the exactly what they were going for. So I'm reading, like, because usually... Like this data sheet is actually a safety data sheet, right. and usually they have things like how the do you clean it sheet. if you get it on something it's not supposed to be on. <laughs> how great would it be if it just said good luck? <laughs> it actually just says like if you get it on your skin, because I've had Cosmoline on my on my skin before. It says wash with plenty of soap and water. That does not work. <laughs> no, 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 it, it just smears it. It just spreads it around. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. So I, I guess I guess the uh, the moral of the story is if if you for some reason purchase a a uh, vintage weapon from the uh, from the U.S. military, be prepared to have like weeks of cleaning. You know, it will happen. You know what it was? It was probably they actually you, you could probably just go down to like your local kitchen sink and there was some household cleaner back in the day that was <laughs> good at taking yeah off it was probably just lie as aggressive enough. And, and it like and it probably like pulls the paint off of walls and causes cancer now and they just don't sell it anymore it's, it's known to the state of cancer to cause california <laughs> <laughs> it was like an additive to kool-aid and, and stuff and now it's just like they, com- completely they, illegal they cured pork in it <laughs> You know, all the fun stuff, DDT. Right. and Yeah, you just melt mm. lead chips, lead paint chips in water. Target organs potentially affected by exposure. Liver all. and kidneys. <laughs> Liver and kidneys. I don't need those. We're just, I'm fine. Yeah, that's all the stuff that filters it. Yeah, I, I drink a Target target toxin for those every a night. Target to- <laughs> Weaponized liquid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, great. Well, that's what I've been up to. You guys want to roll off onto the RFO section? 
Sure. Cool. So, Roz, the uh, RFO stands for Rapid Fire Opinion. It's basically a section where we just have fun and talk about, you know, whatever news uh, fancies us. Right on. All right, so the first article is engineer tripped on LSD after touching 1960 synthesizer that was coded in it. So the story <laughs> is he is refurbishing a synthesizer that's been sitting in a warehouse slash closet for a long period of time. And he's like, he sprays some fluid into the potentiometers because they're crunchy and he trips. <laughs> Which, okay, so so these particular synthesizers are, are under the name of Bukla. Uh, and they're a very classic design. I've seen a, a bunch of them. I've dealt with customers that uh, uh, work with these every day, that were these vintage style designs. I, you know, I saw this and it's like, I really want to know how real this is. And also, does does LSD degrade? You know, does it like break down? I would think so, but who knows? Maybe this was a more ma uh, modern synthesizer that someone sprayed down recently. Yeah, that's what I looked into, but I, I thought it was funny his, his words say, I felt like I was tripping on LSD. So do you know what LSD's like? <laughs> Elliot Curtis? <laughs> Just like take a big whiff of that deoxid or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, deoxid. Do you guys, wait, okay, so side note. Deoxid has um, a, a red can and a green can. And the only reason why I know this is because I was over at um, Micro Center the other day. Stop, stop and go? Yeah. <laughs> What's deoxid? Uh, deoxid is a potentiometer cleaner. Okay. Uh, and they've got a red can and a green can. And this is, this is uh, poor marketing, if you ask me. Uh, they're both claimed to be potentiometer cleaners. They both claim to do the exact same thing. They both have the same price. They both have the same size. But they're different. And why are they different? You know, I had to sit there with my cell I had to sit there with my cell phone and, and, and like research like wh which one should I buy? And then I you know, of course I ended up buying both. Uh, because one is in a more aggressive cleaner and one is a less aggressive but has more lubricant in it. So technically like the quote proper way according to deoxid is you spray red in and you clean it and then you spray green in and you get some more lubrication but they don't have that kind of information anywhere on the can and if you're if you're like just some kind of like whatever guys at micro center trying to buy pot cleaner like well, what do you do so one is so one is lube with cleaner and one is cleaner with lube yeah yeah <laughs> that's exactly right yeah thanks deoxid <laughs> Um, now it's interesting. Is is brake cleaner is sold the same way because um, you can get chlorinated brake cleaner. That's and the good stuff. And it's in usually red cans, and then the green stuff is non chlorinated. And so I always I always have I I buy actually brake cleaner in bulk, and I have like a a reusable pressurized container. So you like pour the cleaner in it, and then you pressurize it up with your air compressor. You have a soda fountain? Yeah, basically for brake clean. And that the chlorinated Add a little clean zip to your cocktails. <laughs> is so much better than non-chlorinated stuff. But the problem with it is I also do a lot of welding. And you, like, that stuff <laughs> cannot come near my welding table. That stuff is, like, as flammable as anything. Well, no, it's, it's the chlorinated brake clean will turn to phosphor, uh, what is it, phosphorus gas? The, like it, white white phosphorus, like no no not it's not white phosphorus. It basically turns into mustard gas. 
<laughs> Chlo- well, yeah, chlorine gas. Yeah. 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 Well, isn't it uh, uh, br- uh, brake fluid and uh, gosh, what is it? Don't say it. You're gonna get you're gonna get the FBI down on your dude, podcast, I, dude. Don't I've been on the it. FBI watch list since I was like 14. You <laughs> you know because because you and I got on it together. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Making what you're about Chlor- to say. Chlorine tablets and brake fluid isn't that what it is? And you throw it in a two liter yeah. bottle and cap it off and throw it. No, 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 God. Yeah, all the kids listening. It's phosphine. Yeah. I can, I can neither confirm nor deny these. <laughs> it's, it's phosphine rumors. is what it makes when you, if you accidentally basically expose chlorinated brake clean to really high temperatures, it makes phosphine gas, which will eat the insides of your lungs. Um, yeah, that's so you know, that's how you know it's working. <laughs> and so, yeah, so, so this is the thing though: is that you, I need to fix this in my shop. But right the, now, the good thing is I'm the only one that is in the shop because <laughs> I have a because usually chlorinated brake clean comes in red containers and I put it into a it's called a sure shot, which is a metal container that's got a trigger and you pressurize it up and liquid comes out. So it's like a you can aerosolize size anything, basically. And I use that to buy brake clean in bulk and do that. But the thing is, my sure shot is red uh, uh, is green. Okay, but I have a red sure shot that I use for welding that has acetone in it. Oh, How that's about you switch. I need the to two switch containers, bro. <laughs> yeah, I need to switch those two. They're refillable. <laughs> yes, I just need to switch. Well, them. you have aerosolized um, acetone. It's really good for cleaning before you weld. Um, yeah, I'm sure it is, but it's also kind of dangerous, right? You don't want to breathe. I mean, aerosolized acetone. <laughs> it works really good at cleaning your welds. You gotta get that, you know, Cosmoline off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Good for cleaning baby bottles and pacifiers and, and killing like brain yeah. cells. Yeah, yeah killing yeah. brain cells. No, it actually works really well. Is um, because acetone is what you normally use for um, do that. And some people still use brake clean for before you weld. And I'm like, man, you grab the wrong brake clean can, and that's the end of you. No, oh, it evaporates so fast though. True, but if there's one little puddle, yeah. that yeah. phosphine Boom. gas will end you. Yeah, that, that, that yellow smoke. Uh, I had a history uh, <laughs> professor actually once describe what mustard gas does to a human body, and uh, it's not pleasant, that's for sure. There's a reason we banned that after World War One. Thanks, Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> so, so I need to you swat- took all the fun out so of I war. I do have them labeled, though. <laughs> I do have them labeled, and the brake clean one is stored away in a cabinet, whereas the acetone one just, like, you know, hangs out by the welder. Not booze. Yeah, don't drink <laughs> <Not> this. <laughs> <laughs> don't drink or burn this, please. <laughs> so, we got LSD after touching a synthesizer. <laughs> yeah, this is tangent night. Yeah. So, do you think that actually happened, or do you think he... Huffed a little bit of the uh, cleaner. Well, okay, let's put it this way. I, I think I, I'm not going to say that it that it did happen, but if it were to happen, it would probably happen from touching a Buchla synthesizer. That's the <laughs> that's the closest thing you could get for it. Yeah, for sure. And the article does mention back in the day there were rumors musicians would wet their fingers and touch a device coated in LSD to feel the device better. 
You know, okay, I, I've I've never I've actually never even seen LSD, let alone used it. But I've I've heard it been talked about enough and how difficult it is to uh, get that I doubt somebody would just like randomly coat things. It's kind of like the same thing with get a sure shot and spray down a synthesizer <laughs> yeah, with, with yeah. liquid LSD. LSD. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the same thing where like everyone got so scared about there being drugs in kids Halloween candy and stuff. It's like who would waste their money putting drugs in kids <laughs> Halloween candy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Most of the druggies I know ain't going to no. share, man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the question is: Is did he start hearing Inagata Davida as soon as he started tripping? That's the that's the che- that's the test. That's your yeah. You're test. right. You're right. Yeah. Or or Dark Side of the Moon just came on in his head, and it's just like, well, man, there we go. Yeah, it's proof. I like this quote right here. It's possible the LSD was conveniently placed there by musicians hoping to be inspired as they created fresh sounds. What? <laughs> I, I, I can see that you're, bu- you're building these new modules and on the bill of materials, instead of putting LSD, it's just called out as inspiration. Apply, yeah, apply inspiration. inspiration to modules. <laughs> to the knobs. Yeah, right. You have an engineering drawing. <laughs> apply inspiration here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, what else we got oh, in the man. RFO? All right, so the next topic is our memo tells staff to stop working with China's tech giant. This is basically the whole uh, tariff stuff and Huawei, um, which is, you know, China's version of, I guess, like Google and Samsung and Sony all rolled into one company. Um, So basically, Arm pulled all their licensing from Huawei and basically so if you have an ARM core processor they can't make ARM core processors anymore which basically run all their devices so I also heard that Google will no longer be supporting their devices for Android correct for Android operating systems yeah, yeah. and, and another, another one that happened was this one's been kind of misrepresented I guess in the media because um, the SD card association I, it's not SD cards it's the SD association that brand the branding of SD cards basically dropped Huawei from their trading group which means they like a lot of people thought that was they can't use SD cards anymore in their products no they can still use SD cards but they just can't market you just can't SD put that cards. nice label on it yes it's like the USB uh, association which they'll still do yeah they probably will actually like the SD uh, USB the, the put on your box that you're like USB compatible that like logo you have to be part of the USB association and pay them money and stuff like the that. same thing uh, that. I believe it's the same thing with the MIDI association if you want to use MIDI in your product and use their logo you have to you know you have to sign up so what did they do like so the basically what it is is the U.S. secure? Is it what? What's the actual um, department that says don't use them? Probably one of the three or four letter departments. NSA. They said basically um, to stop using Huawei, and you can't associate with them anymore. And so basically, if you have any U.S. you know. Jurisdiction, you have to say, okay, we can't work with Huawei anymore. Some bad hombres. We're not going to use their phones anymore. (laughs) Wrong. Okay. 
Okay. <laughs> because reasons or um, I don't know, man. It, it <laughs> as with as I've with all this crap, keep up on these who knows, right? I've been trying to keep up on all this terror stuff and some of the decisions are just mind-boggling. Well, it's Steve and I got into this one day over text message. It's I it's totally a it's a ploy to try and get the two parties to the negotiating table. They don't really think these tariffs are going to do anything. Sounds like they're doing things. <laughs> well, I don't know about this. Point is is like, I don't know. I read an article the other day, even Trump's like advisor who suggested the tariffs or who's who's um you know advising Trump on the whole trade thing was saying uh you know oh yeah it's going to be a problem <laughs> for both sides both sides are going to pay <laughs> right after Trump said no they're going to pay <laughs> we're going to make lots of money did you do a hashtag sad <laughs> look all i know is that um if i can't get my cheap pcb boards for my new guitar amplifier I'm going to be very angry. Well, yeah, well, that actually went up in price. Too well, much I, no, Parker and I talked about it. They went from uh, $2 to $2.50. Son of a... <laughs> Thanks, Trump. <laughs> Can't blame him anymore. No. All right. I think we should, uh, I think we should use that as a, as a good moment to uh, close out on this, unless you guys have anything else to put in. No, I think I'm good. All right, Roz, you want to go ahead and uh, close us out? Let's do it. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, Josh Rozier. And we were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel, and I think Josh is going to be in that Slack channel now. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases, and please review us wherever you listen as it helps this show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.